Hi, and welcome to the Femme Factor podcast. We are your co-hosts, Dr. Laura and Dr. Nicole. This is a place for women just like you desiring to learn, be inspired, and find community. We'll be discussing everything from health, longevity, and aging, to mindset, high performance, and cycle syncing, to intuition and healing physically, emotionally, and spiritually. All from a lens that is based both upon the latest health research and feminine energetics. Blending equal parts scientific evidence and inner wisdom, we invite you to elevate your biology, empower your intuition, and embody your magic. Our guest today is Dr. Vincent Pedre. He's the medical director of Pedre Integrative Health and founder of Dr. Pedre Wellness, the CEO and founder of Happy Gut Life, and has worked as a nutraceutical consultant and spokesperson for Nature MD and orthomolecular products. Dr. Vince is a functional medicine certified practitioner with a concierge practice in New York City since 2004. He believes the gut is the gateway to excellent wellness. His newest book, The Gut Smart Protocol, featuring a 14-day personalized gut healing plan based on the Gut Smart Quiz, is the culmination of years of research and clinical experience as a functional gut health expert. I hope that you love this conversation as much as Nicole and I did. Welcome. Welcome back to the Femme Factor podcast. Dr. Laura and I are so excited for our next guest, Dr. Vincent Pedre. He is a gut health expert, a medical doctor, and author of a few books, two that I've read, Our Happy Gut, and then his latest book, The Gut Smart Protocol, which we're so excited to talk about today. And um, yeah, so thank you so much for being with us, Dr. Pedre. Nice to see you again. Thanks for having me. So tell us, we always love to hear how your journey started, like two books or, or multiple books and a mm-hmm. career in medicine didn't start by chance. And so can you tell us a little bit about how you got started on this journey, why you're so passionate about gut health? And yeah, and we'll go from there. Yeah, well, really, it's it's thinking that I was going to have to live with my gut issues for the rest of my life. And then realizing that I didn't have to when I discovered functional medicine. I had been on 20 plus rounds of antibiotics as a child. And I had horrible, sensitive stomach. Never knew how I was going to react when I went out to eat. Uh, Suffered a lot as a kid. Lots of abdominal pains. Like sometimes severe abdominal pains. Like the type that you're just bent over. I just, I remember that with my parents just being in severe pain, crying at night, um, suffering from all sorts of issues related to my gut. And I actually then went to, you know, I, I didn't even go to medical school to try to figure that out. I just kind of thought that that was part of my makeup. Like this is the way I'm going to be for the rest of my life. And of course, we learned about IBS and all that. And I thought, yeah, I have IBS. And sometimes I took antacid medications. And sometimes <clears throat> I took a Tums, maybe. Uh, you know, I sometimes self-medicated with things, over-the-counter remedies while I was in medical school. And thought, oh, this is just part of normal. Everybody has heartburn. Everybody has upset stomach. Like, 
I guess this is just the way life is, you know, and that's why there's so many of these remedies that you can just go to the drugstore and, and find one. You know, there's a whole section on digestive remedies. And, and so by the time I was in my residency, I didn't realize how sensitive I had become to gluten. So this is my late 20s. And my stomach was a mess uh, because the the convenient foods that you would eat when you're on call in the hospital were sometimes pizza and sometimes bread and, you know, all sorts of things that are not not good for you. And even coming home, like, uh, you know, you pick up something and it might have gluten in it. So I wasn't doing the best for myself. And I just thought that, oh, my stomach's upset because I'm working long hours. Definitely when you work, when you've been up for 24 hours and you haven't had rest, uh, your, your digestion gets really messed up. It messes up your circadian rhythm and your gut gets messed up because you're, you're up at three in the morning and you're hungry. So you're going to eat something. And a lot of times you're eating sugar at three in the morning. Uh, I loved eating peanut M&Ms. That was my, that was one of the my go-to snacks in the wee hours of the morning to make it through a you know one of those long shifts and of course you don't feel good after eating those things and your energy is crashing but it wasn't until i discovered functional medicine that i realized that what had happened to me was my gut microbiome had been destroyed by all of the antibiotics that i had been on as a child and and I started for the first time, I had hope that what I had could be reversible, you know, and at first I didn't want to believe it. Actually, at first I thought, well, this is really far out there. Um, this is great, but it's not going to work on me. That was, that was kind of my first thought. Like, yeah, this is amazing. I can apply it with my patients, but yeah, with me, it's not going to work. And Finally, I decided, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to take gluten out of the diet. I didn't have any clear signs that I knew at the time that gluten was problematic, but I did feel quite fatigued. So like if I ate a sandwich for lunch, I would feel like I was in a food coma an hour later and, and wanted to just go take a nap. So <clears throat> I embarked on this project of eliminating all of the foods that I was sensitive to dairy gluten um, there were some other random foods that came up on a blood test like tomatoes for example and I took all of those foods out of the diet it, it was a bit of an adaptation started working on <clears throat> eating healthier at home cooking more at home having fermented foods like really um, nurturing the gut microbiome and immediately I started feeling different. And within two weeks, my energy levels were much higher. And by the end of the first month, I felt quite different than I felt a month earlier. And by that time I was working with patients on gut health issues and just was really fascinated with it. Wasn't trying to become a gut health expert. I was just, curious and doing what I thought, what, what I loved and also what I thought was cool because when you made people's gut health issues better, then suddenly their eczema disappears, their allergies get better, their, their brain fog disappears. 
their energy improves. So I was just doing that out of love. And before I knew it, this was going on for a couple of years. I had like a whole part of my practice was patients with gut issues who had uh, either referred their family, their friends, their coworkers. So it had started building. And I thought, well, I wanted to write a book. And finally, the book idea was, I'm going to write a book about the gut. And that idea came to me in 2012, actually, three years before the book was published. It took a bit, you know, from book concept conception to when the book actually comes to life is quite a process. Um, and still, that book, Happy Gut, was very early on in the whole microbiome era. Like if you go back, you know, now everybody's talking about the gut. Everybody's talking about the gut microbiome, you know, on social media, people who are not doctors are talking about the gut and the gut microbiome. But if you go back to 2015, no one knew what the word microbiome meant. You know, so we've come a really long way. And I was very early in that curve of getting into the gut health space. And so that's how I created Happy Gut. And then Happy Gut birthed my, my business, Happy Gut Life. And over the years, just seeing patients and just kind of refining, you know, like really sitting in the gut health space, I came to realize that people needed something more than what was offered in Happy Gut. And that's when I came up with the idea for my second book, The Gut Smart Protocol, which also took a while. So what what are we in? 2023. Yeah. And I actually came up with the concept for this book in 2018. Yeah, a little bit you of know, a time lag, but you know, there was a events. little time lag. I was raising a child, so <laughs> and that, there was a pandemic. Like, let's not forget that. That, that got in the way. Well, it seems like uh, if you look at all the books that were published this year, you can see that the pandemic birthed many new books <laughs> because there wasn't a lot to do. So you might as just will be home writing a book. Uh, for me, it was finding the right partner uh, to do the book with. And luckily, Ben Bella, uh, the publisher, reached out and they wanted to do a book with me. And I already had the book ironed out and we just continued. We went from there and we refined it. And I think created an incredible book. I don't know. You'll t you tell me. You read it. What do you think? It, it's a great read. And we're I, I want to dive into that in a minute. But I want to unpack just a few things from your story. First, thank you for sharing so much about your own journey so authentically. And there were so many little gems that I just want to highlight because I think sometimes in gut conversations, people focus like just on the diet. They just talk about the nutrition, but here you're also talking about things like stress levels and not sleeping and circadian rhythm and all of these other arenas that are directly related to the gut microbiome. So if we're really trying to, yeah. you know, grow this healthy little garden of, of helpful bugs, it's not enough to just look at the nutrition piece. It's also all of these other lifestyle pieces that a lot of the time get disrupted in, you know, whether it's in professions like yours. I mean, I don't, I don't envy residents in medical school for their schedule ever. I don't think anyone does. Um, but even just in our, our modern world that doesn't always support that 
those healthy circadian rituals and, and everything else, you know, and I imagine for you, you know, the stress of when you were younger of, of antibiotic use, that was, that was using 20, 20 rounds. You said that's pretty stressful. Rounds <laughs> during my, from the age of 10 to the age of 19. Yeah. Um, I calculated that it was probably around, it was at least two per year. In some years, it was three rounds of antibiotics. Antibiotics were just kind of like, oh, you're sick. Okay. You need an antibiotic. Yep. Yeah. I, I think there's similar to what you mentioned about how more people are talking, talking about the, the gut microbiome. I think there's a little bit more of an awareness around prescribing antibiotics for every little thing. And okay, maybe it's not the best thing to get these kids on antibiotics three times a year anymore, but that also has been kind of newer in this last decade that we're talking about with the explosion of research around the gut microbiome and everything else. So those of yeah. us who were eighties babies and younger, and, and previous decades didn't quite have that experience. I definitely got blasted with a lot of antibiotics as a kid too. Uh, so I, I felt that part of the story a lot, had to do a lot of adult, adult life work to, to repair that. Um, but the stress piece too, is something I really want to come back to. A lot of our listeners on this podcast are midlife women, thirties, forties, fifties, they're raising families, they're building careers. Stress is a commonality in everything they do. And I think sometimes they have this feeling of I'm eating really well and I'm exercising and I'm still, I have diarrhea or I can't think, or I can't sleep, or I have all these hormone problems. And I think that's such an important concept around the gut microbiome and its relationship to stress. So before we dive a little bit more into your book details, I would love if you could speak to that connection, particularly for women, although I'm sure it's relevant for men too, um, just because I don't know how many guys we have listening on this podcast. Well, I, I, I always say you cannot out diet and you can't out supplement a stressed out lifestyle. And I've seen that over the years with my very type A patients here in New York City who would come in and they were the type that, you know, check off the list, like they're, they're doing perfect, you know, they're taking their supplements just on time and they're eating their, you know, their salad for lunch and they're doing all the quote unquote right things. And yet they are so sick. And I realized that the missing uh, ingredient was stress management because their lives are rush, 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 rush. And you don't have to live in New York City. Like you mentioned, a midlife woman raising a family, kids, teenage kids, maybe they're also going through hormonal changes because they're in their 40s. So that's also a stressor on their body. And we also live at a time when everybody is, it's almost like we're, we're all being pushed to be superheroes at the cost of the quality of our lives. You know, we've lost a lot of balance. And I think there's a lot of different things that are enemies of the circadian rhythm. You know, even if we can go back in time, you know, let's go back way in time to when there were the old TVs, there was no smartphone. So maybe what you did was watch some TV at night. And eventually that might kind of get old and rote, you know, because it's the same programs and maybe you've already seen the episode. So you turn off the TV and you read a book and then you went to sleep. Now, what do people do? They're in bed. They've got the TV on. They have their smartphones. They're looking at their phones. They're looking at the TV. They're disrupting their sleep cycle by all the blue light exposure. 
there's there's a lot of imbalance going on and there's a lot of things that are getting in the way that people don't even realize you know that are disrupting their circadian rhythm and you throw off your circadian rhythm we're in control of the circadian rhythm of the bacteria in our gut by what we do by when you eat your meal timing is super important and so if you're up late and you get the late night munchies and now you're eating you're going to throw your your gut bacteria circadian rhythm off because now you're eating at 11 p.m midnight having chips or whatever snack ice cream whatever it might be when the kids are asleep and you finally have that moment to yourself and you're like, I'm going to treat myself to something because I'm so stressed and this is my me time, but you're doing your gut a lot of harm. And of course, disrupting your sleep because really you can't sleep well if your gut, if your stomach is too full, you're also not going to sleep well if your stomach is too empty, if you've got to be somewhere in between. And I always recommend for people to, eat at least three, finish eating at least three hours, but ideally four hours before bedtime. Yeah. Which we now know is really good for our brains as well. And all of, all of the neurological diseases that we see, especially with age and how eating late or, you know, too close to when you sleep messes up so many things as well, including our gut microbiome. And I, I, Laura and I always are talking about this because we do work with so many women who, like you said, they're high achievers. And it's like, at what cost are you willing to give up this quality of life for productivity or to check off the list and all the to-do things? And how many of your patients probably or clients, they have this to-do list that is full of like healthy wellness stuff. But it's really just to cross off a to-do list and they feel so good about it. And yet they still are wondering like, well, why don't I feel great? And you're like, because there's so much more behind this than just the action, right? There's the intent, there's the stress behind it, there's the mindset. And um, I just, I love how Laura said you bring in so much more than nutrition, although I might, I want to add, and for any of you listening, and you might have even read this paper it was incredible. It's a couple of years old and it's called the nutrition microbiome tango. And that title just, I loved, but it's such an interesting read. And you brought this out in your book because we can change our entire genetic makeup of our microbiome within 48 hours, depending on what we eat, either for the worse or for the better. And so, um, going back to, you know, you thinking, well, this probably wouldn't work for me back in the early days. And, and for us to realize that if you're in a situation right now where you think you're not going to get out of, maybe you just feel horrible or you've tried certain things, it is possible. And it might even be quicker than you think once you get down to the root causes of it. And I love that, you know, one of the biggest eye-opening books I read a few years ago was the Mind-Gut Connection. And then um, I think it's by Emmerin Meyer and then mm-hmm. Psychobiotic, yeah. Psychobiotic Revolution. I forget who wrote that one. But how much our microbiome impacts our stress and our mental health and vice versa. And so once we realize yeah. that it's not just, oh, my stomach aches or I'm gassy or I'm bloated or I have diarrhea or I'm constipated, like I'm thinking like down the line of all the, the gut things that the gut symptoms that are so common, 
it really has such a huge impact on our mental health and how even they now know there's specific strains of bacteria that can impact different emotions. And it's just so fascinating. Like you said, within the last few years, it's no wonder you were able to write a whole nother book because so much new research is available to us and learning how much it impacts our entire being and not just our gut, but, um, but yeah, how it, it, it's like you said, I think in chapter two, all the different connections, right. To every single system. And so for those who are listening to think, you know, more about what other symptoms they might be having and not just the more common gut symptoms. Yeah. And I just want to just circle back to what you said. It's a chicken or the egg uh, scenario with the gut and the brain because they are both affecting each other in different ways. And they're, they're both as important relative to each other. That's why I think that the mindfulness and breathwork practices that I put in my second book are so important because they are, they are not an add-on. They're not like an optional piece. They are actually part of the protocol. They are part of the way that you heal your body. And I think we, I think the consciousness around this is changing. I really do. You know, because I think, I think that meditation breath work has been on the fringe for a long time. And we have to thank the biohackers because I think the biohackers brought meditation and breath work more into the mainstream and especially like when it got into the place of optimizing performance for CEOs, suddenly meditation and breath work is like the thing. And I had started doing meditation and breath work when I was 21 years old in 1995, way before it was anything. <laughs> and I think I'm hoping now that the, you know, the collective consciousness around this is changing that the younger generation and even older people who never did it are now willing open to try it because I think it's it's one of those things that we should be teaching our kids and I've taught my son um, and it, and it's not easy because the kids have you know we all you know we have this uh, ADD uh, personalities that have been created by the smartphone devices. And it's sad to say that social media has created um, shorter and shorter attention spans. So for anyone who's listening, good on you for listening to this podcast and for listening to the whole podcast, because the average attention span of the average person is about 40 some seconds. And I okay. think it continues to decrease. And that's why we've got these one minute reels and TikToks and, and, but I think it's actually making it worse, not better, you know, and then Instagram or uh, YouTube rolled out their shorts, which are 15 seconds. And it's like, okay, are we going to get to one second? Like how much is our attention going to be compromised? And of course, part of it is the gut microbiome. If you're eating a lot of sugar, if you're eating processed foods, if you're eating foods with coloring, uh, you know, artificial colors, 
all of that is going to affect brain health as well as gut microbiome health. And it's going to affect your ability to sit and focus and put your attention in one place. Um, so sorry, I just wanted to go off on, on the gut brain piece. Cause I think it's so important that people really realize that the, the domino effect that meditation and breath work have on the rest of your health is huge. And the way you relate to others and your ability to even just not get annoyed at your kids and just, just be able to, you know, even have more ease with your partner. All of these things get better when you meditate and you do breath work and you take care of yourself. So I think it's a non-negotiable and it's actually part of, of, I think a really important part of the self-care routine in our modern world where everything is so fast, 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 that it's almost like we, we've lost our innate knowledge that we had as hunter-gatherers for such a long time of how to sit still, how to just be, being present, which is so important. And you can't heal a body that is stressed out you simply can't i i love that i actually i'm in colorado right now which is lovely because there's a hiking trail right outside of my house so on my morning meditation walks which speaking of meditation i think you know going on that conversation it's also really beautiful that they're like yes thank you biohackers uh there's so many different types of meditation you can do. I think people used to think you had to be sitting around cross-legged and like, you know, home chanting and like, you can be an active meditator that you can be do breath work meditation. There's so many options depending on how you're wired, but that Even was a repetitive thought. motions. Yeah. Uh, like knitting can become meditative playing Absolutely. an instrument. I, I grew up playing the piano and I didn't realize it at the time, but I did get into when I, when I would practice for like an hour or two, I would get into this euphoric state that was very similar to a runner's high. Yeah, absolutely. And I, that's kind of what I was thinking when I'm walking, when I'm hiking that rhythmic movement of one foot, other foot, it's almost like a little EMDR therapy as you're kind of walking around. It just really and helps with all of that. And we have a breath. Uh, breathwork exercise in the book called the 2x breath and one way to do it if you're feeling anxious um, because anxiety sometimes just requires movement and one way to do it is to breathe in for two steps and then breathe out for four steps so you're breathing while you're walking and you're coordinating your breath with your movement and that becomes a focus and that be then becomes very meditative because you're very intentionally moving your body in synchrony with the breath. Yeah, I that was one of my favorite ones reading in your book. Uh, for me, that's always been something that works really well. I've always tended a little more towards that anxiety side of things where movement is what tends to regulate me better than stillness. Uh, stillness comes at the end of that movement, but there's something about moving that energy, moving that stress through you that can be really, really powerful. And that was one of my, that was one of the bullet points I had wanted to ask you about your book, because I do think that was really unique inside of a gut health book. We see a lot of gut health books that are like, eat this diet, take these supplements, blanket statement, reduce your stress, which 
is is not helpful. Like, I, I don't know. I know our listeners probably resonate with this. Nicole and I joke about it a lot. Like someone looks at you and says, just don't stress out. And immediately you're like, that is very stressful. You telling me not to stress out. So for you to actually include these strategies and explain, Hey, here's some options for meditating, for breathing and getting us back to this, those ancestral patterns of, yes, we're in this modern world, but there's some things that we have to come back to and bring with us into it. Cause we can't keep going at the pace we're going as a society and expect to get healthier. So it's, it's creating these intentional moments of slowing down. And honestly, for a lot of us learning how to breathe again, because there's a lot of people out there just breathing with their shoulders and not really using the body. And I know, I'm sure, I think this was in your book at one point, but we've talked about this before on the podcast for digestion. You know, we, we have to be able to breathe and get that nervous system in a state to actually be able to digest our food in the first place. We can't yeah, keep doing this thing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, like we can't keep doing this thing where we're eating on the run, eating on the go, typing on the computer and trying to like- The analogy that I use for people is that you you wouldn't drive into your dining room at 60 miles per hour, right? But that's you coming home from work. You're going 60 miles per hour and you know, you're rushing to, to cook, make dinner, then rush to sit down with the family and there's n there's no ritual, no moment when you're putting the decelerator on, so you can now stop that that fast moving car, and be present and intentional about the food that you're about to put into your body, because that's how the body can absorb, can be and digest the food when you're in that relaxed state. And I think it's important for anybody who has a family, like. You know, the ritual of just saying a prayer before a meal or saying a gratitude or whatever it is you want to make it, you know, it doesn't have to be, it can be whatever you want it to be. You know, it could be like going around the table and asking everyone, like, what was the best part of the day for you today? You know, that's, that's your brake pad. That's how to slow down, get into that relaxed state that is so key and critical because I see a lot of people who will, they're eating a healthy meal, but then it doesn't sit right. And they tell me, well, then the food just sits in my stomach and I feel like I'm still digesting by the time I go to dinner. And I asked them, well, did you take a moment to unwind yourself from the day before you sat down at the dinner table to eat? And a lot of them don't, there's no ritual. So really thinking about that, like how are you approaching each part of your life, you know, are you rushing through everything, you know, just running over it, realizing that your body, your body doesn't like that. The ritual, that word is so striking. I love talking about rituals. Um, and I think it's so important, especially now because so many people work from home. And so there really is no delineation between work and now home. And so they take, it's just so muddled. And so if people can really create some sort of ritual, like you said, before they eat, or maybe once they stop, like they set their certain time to stop working, whether it's six or seven or whatever, but they just do something, wash their hands, light a candle, 
have some affirmation, pull a card, whatever it might be. It doesn't have to take hours. It could just be literally a three second action to really let your body know, like you just said, it's time to change, switch up. And now let's see what our body needs, which is probably some food, probably go pee, probably get a glass of water and then to continue. And I think that was one of the biggest things from me reading your book, um, talking about intention and ritual is you have a whole, um, it's not a chapter, it's a paragraph, but it's called intuitive eating. And what I love about your, how you bring this up is there's the before, the during and after, because so many times we think of before, like, what does my body want to eat right now? Or we think of after, like, how is my body feeling? But it's really this whole process, especially if you're having gut issues or want to heal gut, the gut, is you have to be intuitive about it. And what I really appreciate about you, Vincent, is that you say you have to know what your own needs are and at quote, it says, in other words, if I say you can eat this and your body is telling you, no, you can't, don't overrule what your body is saying in favor of staying true to this book. That's not loyalty or discipline. It's nonsense. And I love that because so many people just take whatever they're reading or watching on social media or listening to, and it's, they take it as gospel. And even if it's from a doctor, you still have to know what your body is telling you. And that's why it's so important, this breath work or the one you were talking about with the walking, breathing into counts, breathing out for is because that starts to train our bodies into being aware of like the breath is connected to my movement. Okay, now I know where I am in space. What else is happening in my body? Oh, now I can actually listen to what my body needs or what my body's telling me because sometimes it's really subtle and in this stressful, busy world we live in, like, I don't know about you, but I have so many people tell me, like, I don't know how to listen to my body. Like, what do you mean listen to my body? How do I do that? I'm like cut off at the neck. And so, and, mm -hmm. you know, bringing in all of these different perspectives and shifts and not just like, here's my food list, which you have in the book, which are great. Like, those are important, but there's so much more to it than what you're putting into your mouth. And I think a lot of it is a, a learning cycle, you know, so you don't just suddenly know how to listen to your body. It's sort of a, a test and see. So part of the breath work, the slowing down is teaching people to be more present in their bodies, present with themselves, present with what their true desires are, you know, because you have to distinguish a desire versus a craving. You know, so you could, someone could say, well, I was listening to my body when I ate the box of cookies because that's what my body wanted. But is it really like intuitively what your body knew was best for itself or it was a craving? It's a different thing. You've got to be able to kind of separate the nuance of that and then see like you're listening to your body and, and your body maybe is craving um, some I don't know, whatever it may be, a certain type of vegetable, or maybe it's craving meat. Uh, maybe iron is low. And and then, but you also want to then see, well, I did that. Okay, so I craved this. 
I ate it. I felt good while I was eating it. How did I feel afterwards? I actually felt quite satisfied. You want to kind of follow it through the before, during, and after. And then that way you're teaching yourself like, okay, the other day I was walking by the coffee shop and I really wanted a biscotti and I thought that that's what, you know, I was craving it. That's what, what my body needed. I had it, but an hour later, I didn't feel so good. My stomach was kind of upset, you know, because uh, part of what's going on with people is they do he they do know what's happening in their body in the moment but they're not listening so if you ask them the day after they're like oh i don't remember they're not really paying attention because their days are so busy so sometimes what i do for people like that and and i didn't really i didn't put it into this book but it's so important to keep a journal because people's food and symptom re recall food and mood and, and symptoms and poop, it, it's not great. And I can tell you, like most people ask, what did, what did you eat a week ago? How did you feel? Like, I don't know. Like, well, if we're going to get you better, we need to start knowing those things because not only do I need to know it to help you, you need to know it to help yourself. Because if you're just eating blindly and you just keep eating the same thing that makes you sick every time, but you're not paying attention, then you're not going to get anywhere. You really have to start tuning into your body. And, and part of that is being willing to see the things that maybe you don't want to see. Because you might not want to know that that biscotti doesn't sit quite well in your stomach, or you might not want to know that the Haagen-Dazs, the half pint of Haagen-Dazs that you had the other night when you were upset didn't sit quite well, you know? So sometimes we know things, but we're in denial of them. And part of the process of healing is bringing those things that we're in denial of and accepting them as truth and then deciding how we're going to change our behavior based on that truth. That's such a good point. And the, the hardest part of any health journey is looking in the mirror and saying, hmm, what choices am I making that aren't serving me versus just looking at the external factors? Because I think a lot of us have more control than we think over the choices we're making for our health, but it's really uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to admit that sometimes we're maybe not making the best decisions for ourselves, And it's, it feels a little easier, even if we don't necessarily use those words to look to external factors and think, no, it's, yeah. it's this, it's that food, it's that hormone. It's not the choices that I'm making day in and day out when in the reality is those are often the most powerful drivers of, of change or just those, those little decision-making. If you're brave enough to like look in the mirror and really, really be honest with yourself, uh, which I think your book does a great job of really encouraging people to do uh, along with all of the amazing, you know, evidence-based information around foods and this and that. And uh, the other really interactive part of your book that I liked is the quiz, is the Gutsmark Protocol quiz. I think that really is a great way to start building that awareness around, do I even have gut problems that I'm not considering? And, and really, it just blends so nicely into, into the rest of your book with really easy to follow food lists and recipe ideas and the breath work and the meditation and everything else. So maybe that's just me. I'm a good person. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's what Nicole, you mentioned earlier, and then we kind of went on a tangent. All of the the gut related symptoms that can hint at the fact that there are gut issues, but a lot of times people feel that, or, or they don't see the connection between them. It could be like mental fog, it could be headaches, migraines, can be allergies, uh, breathing difficulties, asthma, skin rashes, hives, eczema, even acne in the face, adult acne related to gut issues, autoimmune disease, joint aches, uh, even um, bone loss, peri um, postmenopausal bone loss is related to gut issues as well. Energy, weight, uh, metabolism, all of these things connected to gut health. So if, if you're trying to lose weight and you hit a plateau and your body's just not letting go of the weight, probably you need to look at your gut health as a factor. This has been such a great conversation. I have so many more questions for you, but I don't think we're going to have time to hit them all. Um, I, I must say the research scientist in me love the part in your book about um, your time spent with the Hadza people in Africa. Um, I went to USC and Dr. Vincent Longo, um, Walter Longo, and then yeah. um, Dr. Andre Ermia did work with the Simone people in the Amazon and what they found, and this is just real, real quick, because I want to ask you, they found was so interesting because these people had actually very high inflammation levels, like high CRP and other biomarkers, but they had no um, cardiovascular disease, no neurological diseases, like no diabetes, right? And so all of these diseases that we think are you know, based upon found founded in inflammation. And yet here's this like inflammation paradox that I'm sure they're still researching. And I'm wondering in your, with your time with um, the Hazda people, like, were there any kind of paradoxical things that came up or that you were, I mean, I'm sure the whole experience was just a little bit shocking because here you are in New York city and now you're being plopped down in Africa with, you know, people who are living as, as they have for thousands and thousands of years. So I don't know if you can briefly comment on your experience of that. Oh, it was, it, it was incredible. It really truly was incredible. And, and it also showed that uh, we have so many ways to communicate. And even if you don't speak the same language, you, we communicate through facial expressions, through smiles, through hand gestures, through laughter. And that is something that's shared across all cultures. You know, smiling, laughing. Um, they, were, they were very playful, um, joyful people. And um, <clears throat> I don't know that I encountered um, any major paradoxes, although I'm not aware of whether they've had their C-reactive protein levels checked. I do know they have the, they've had their gut microbiomes checked and they do have a paradox there in, in the makeup of their gut microbiome because they actually harbor some harmful organisms in their gut microbiome that don't seem to cause any harm to them, but could potentially cause harm if they were in somebody's gut who lives in the Western world, like a spirochete, a tryponema, that is the same bacteria that's known to cause syphilis. This type of bacteria lives in their gut 
And it lives there because it's specialized. It helps break down plant fibers because their diet is very high in plant fibers. They're eating a lot of root vegetables and other plants like baobab fruit. And so they need a gut microbiome that can help them break down these xylans and cellulose fibers in the plant that our gut are simply can't. So it's quite interesting how their gut has evolved and their gut microbiome in a way to support their lifestyle. And if you compare it to a Western uh, gut microbiome, it's different. And the types of bacteria that predominate are slightly different. The interesting thing is that it's, it, it's just another example of like, we can't classifying something as bad. <laughs> it may only be bad in this current situation, but in a different scenario, it might not actually be bad. And there's quote unquote, bad bugs and good bugs in all of our guts. And it's really the balance that's happening in there that results in what we see because the Hadza have no heart disease. They have no dementia, no, no obesity. They don't have any diabetes. They don't get cancer, you know, so they're, they're, their system is quite clean. And I think a lot of it has to do with the diversity of their gut microbiome and what's happening in the way it's kind of playing with their immune system and probably also their, their lack of stress. I mean, I'm sure there is their, their view on stress is so different. You know, just imagine a, a typical person who gets caught in a downpour, how are they feeling without an umbrella? You know, I'd be stressed. <laughs> uh, and they, they live out in, in the bush. Like there's no umbrellas, like they're going to get wet. Big deal. Sometimes there's food. Sometimes there isn't, they got to go find food. So they, they really live amongst a lot of hormetic stressors that I talk about. Um, I mentioned that in my book, the the concept of hormesis and a good stress and how that is really important in, in building resilience. And I think that's part of their resilience is that the things that would bother us, they don't bother them. And they have this ability to live in the natural world in harmony with it. And I'm sure it's not easy. You know, I'm sure that it's, it's difficult. And the interesting thing is that they are aware of the existence of modern civilization. So as much as we're aware of them, they're also aware that modern civilization exists. And, and I did sit down with the chief and I, I really pressed them. Like I was curious, okay, what happens if someone gets a lung infection? I'm like, does anybody ever get an infection in their lungs? And I was speaking through a translator and and he's like, oh, we treat them with herbs. And I was like, but what if they're really sick? Like what happens? And, and I finally pre pressed him enough that he told me that if someone was, it's rare, but if one of their tribe members was really sick, they would take them into town. But it's very rare. And for the most part, they have not been exposed to antibiotics in the same way that we have. And, and then he was very secretive about the herbs. I'm like, don't worry. I don't need to know what herbs you're using. He's like, they are, they are, they're, they are, they are, um, <laughs> <of> the <laughs> they're proprietary formulas. We are not sharing them. I'm like, don't worry. I don't want to take, 
I, I, I was just curious about what they did. Um, he didn't want to share what the herbs were, what what they, you know, because it's supposedly it's a secret and it's handled by their shaman. Sure. Um, but it was it was quite an amazing experience. And actually, um, I know we've gone quite long, but if I can share just really quick Please. story. Please do. So one night we're sitting by the fire pit and we have this fire going and the chief and there's the chief and, and our group of like about 12 people and some of the tribe members that the chief is telling a story, which we can't fully understand, but he's telling a story about the animals of the African plain um, of the safari. And so you could kind of put together, like you knew when he was talking about a lion and all this. And the funny thing is they started naming us and we each got an animal name of the plane and it was only the people that were there so not um actually i now now that i remember not everyone in our group was there hanging out by the fire but i happened to be there so i got given a name by the hadsa and i actually have never revealed it on any interview that i've done but i'm going to reveal it on this podcast we won't tell anyone <laughs> <laughs> So the, the tribal chief named me Sesame. And Sesame means lion. Mm -hmm. So I was named after the lion. And mm -hmm. another member of our group who is a woman from the Netherlands, uh, he named her Papalua, which is butterfly. Aww, beautiful. Yeah. That's so it was so kind of awesome. It was a it was a really uh, neat experience that even with a major language barrier that we were able to create a connection with these people that are still living the way that humans lived for 95% of our history as hunter gatherers. Yeah, such such a beautiful story and just the the things we can learn from each other if we're open to those experiences, just human to human, you know, crossing those, crossing those barriers, uh, because we're all human at the core. So what a, what an amazing experience to have. And thank you for sharing your super secret name here first. <laughs> you heard um, it first. <laughs> Well, obviously we're going to link your book below and all of the information about that, but is there anywhere else where people can find you if they want to learn more about you? Do you have a favorite social media platform or is your website best? Um, yeah, gutsmartprotocol.com. Uh, they can learn everything about the book, including uh, checking out some free resources on the website that include some of the breath work and meditations that are in the book. And my favorite social media is Instagram. So I do a lot of Instagram. They can find me there as at Dr. Pedre, D-R-P-E-D-R-E. -E. We will make sure that we link all of those so people can come find you and follow you and interact with you and learn all of the gut things. And he so, dances a lot on his Instagram. So it's fun. I do. I try to I'm do some funny too. things. We are, yeah, we are in full try, support of dancing here. <laughs> I try to make some funny reels. Funny and educational at the same time. Hey, got to keep the attention spans, right? Going back to that part of the conversation. And uh, it, I think it's 
it's easy to see the cons of social media, but I think some of the perks of social media for a lot of people in the healthcare profession too, is you get to show more of that side of you, right? You get to show people that like, you're a human here having fun, just like everyone else while you're sharing all of your incredible knowledge and experience too. Yeah. So that brings us to our last question for you, which is a question that we ask all of our guests. Oh, I thought you were going to forget that question. I nope, mean, come nope, on. We're going to force my, it on you. No, I gave no. you my Hodsa name. <laughs> now we're done. We're done. <laughs> oh, come on. It'll be a quick we're one. We're done. That, it can be no advice. I mean, if you really don't want to answer. We, we have it, had that had response had before. We've had that I'm response kidding. I'm, I'm kidding. Advice. That is a good, that's actually a good one. Uh, yeah, we did it. We had someone say, they said, I wouldn't say anything. I wouldn't want to change a single one of my experiences. But anyway, our question is always, if you can think back to a younger version of yourself and send a piece of advice, what would that be? Okay. There's so many ways that I could chop this up. And, uh, but if it was one piece of advice, oof, it's like, I, I know what I want to say. Um, but it's sort of generic what I want to say. So I want to, I'm going to say something unique this time to my younger self, breathe. Mm. Don't forget to breathe in all moments in life, especially during the stressful ones. Mm. That's beautiful. Actually, I think that's the first time anyone said that. Is the, do you remember anyone saying that, Laura? Nope. That's the first time yeah, and super, super important so advice that we all need. <laughs> so good. And I think when you said that, all of us just went, oh. like there was this instant little bit of relief and sigh and breath. And so we just want to say thank you so much for being on our podcast, for sharing all the beautiful things that you shared with us and we're just so excited for your book to share it with our listeners and to see what else comes along on your journey as a gut health expert so thank you for for coming along on this one with us thanks for having me again uh really great seeing you guys again this podcast is for general information and educational purposes only. It should not be considered medical advice and or treatment. Although we are both doctors, we are not medical doctors or your medical doctor. What has been discussed should not take the place of your personal medical professional's advice, treatment, diagnosis, or care. If you love this podcast as much as we do, please take the time to subscribe, share, rate, and review. And we'd love if you would follow us over on Instagram. Our handles are at dr.lauradecessoris and at Dr. Nicole Marcioni. Or you can just click on the links in our show notes.